Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to Midi the Podcast, a modern day podcast designed to answer all of your weird and wonderful pregnancy and postpartum questions. I'm your host, Monique Maitland, qualified midwife and nurse founder of the Midi Society and someone who is about to become your personal in-pocket midwife and virtual best friend. The Midi Society is a community-based platform where we interview leading healthcare professionals, new mummers and everyday people who share with us their experiences and reveal what they wish they knew before becoming a parent. So buckle up for this crazy and exciting ride. I'll be talking all things tits, bits, spew and poo. All right, let's get started. In today's episode, I speak with Chantelle Donnelly about her unique journey into motherhood. After a low-risk pregnancy and uncomplicated natural birth, Chantelle would have never expected the next chapter to unfold the way that it did. Her son, Sol, was born with difficulty breathing and displayed syndromal facial features. These conditions were not noted in utero and therefore was an enormous shock to Chantelle and Jake, their family and friends, and their hospital team. Sol's case is 1 in 7.9 billion and left without a formal diagnosis. Chantal talks us through his journey as well as shows her incredible resilience, strength and ongoing ability to always find a positive in every situation. Please welcome Chantal. Hello everyone and welcome back to Midi the Podcast. Today I am joined by the beautiful Chantal and this episode It's probably going to be, I'm sure, one of your favorite episodes if you're listening because it is a beautiful story and you will get to know Chantal and her family, but mainly her little boy, Sol. His journey is incredible. So Chantal, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yes, thank you so much. Um, So my name is Chantal. I'm 26 next month um, and I work in Allied Health. and yeah, I have my beautiful family. So I have my husband, Jake, and my little boy, Sol. And I absolutely love the name Sol. I just think <laughs> that it is the perfect name for him and his journey and his story. And yeah, I once I never realized what his name was. And then once I realized what it was, I was like, that is just so fitting and just so meant to be. It is, absolutely. And I wish I had like a really cool story about it, but he, um, I had that like that name for ages. Like when Jake and I first got together, we were like, "Yep, so like love it so much. We love soul music, and it was just a word that we always used to describe, you know, our things." Like Jake always say, "Oh, Shani's got such a beautiful soul," and and I was like, "Oh, that's such an awesome name. Like let's Aww. keep that." And then yeah, and then I found out I was pregnant, and it was a boy, and we're like, "Yep, so." So people think it was like after when Soul was born that we named him but no it was um it was meant to be it was meant to be and you said you didn't have a story but that's a beautiful story (laughs) and so you have got a story there um but let's go back to the very beginning so when you found out you were pregnant can you tell us a little bit more about your pregnancy journey yeah so I well Jake and I are from Melbourne um originally but we so we got engaged um 2019 and we moved to rural WA the start of 2020 so I think it was just the the end of Feb start of March Um, and we had two weeks sort of normality and 
um, then COVID hit. So we were really lucky. We were away from Vic. Um, yes. And yeah, so we were meant to be there for 12 months, just working, saving um, for our wedding, which was going to be 2021. Um, but then, yeah, COVID hit. So we thought, well, let's elope. We're going to go down to Esperance. So we're going to elope. Um, so we did that. And then from that point, we were like, we want to have kids. We've always wanted to have kids. Um, but we just wanted to tick a few things off first. Um, and yeah, so we got married and that was one of the things we wanted to do first. Ticked that off and I said to Jake, all right, well, you know, the next step, we can start, you know, trying for kids. And um, I had warned him and I was like, this is not something that is going to be easy. It might take a long time. Um so, you know, don't get your hopes up. It could be a month, a year, 10 years, yeah. I don't know. Like, you know, so just whatever, whatever it takes, we'll, we'll, we'll cross it. Um, yeah. And so <laughs> we got married on the Friday the 13th of November, um, got back home and Jake was sent away the camp, um, like a mining camp to work. And so he didn't get back until the end of December. Um, and yeah, I felt pregnant. I think I, I, oh, what was it? January 11th, I found out that I was pregnant. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, I wasn't prepared for it at all. Um, yeah. I was like, yeah, I've got so much time. And even like with private health, we're like, oh, yeah. you know, it won't take three months, you know, to get on. Um, three months, we won't uh, fall pregnant. In, in three months and we'll have 12 months and yeah. we'll be able to go private and all the things and Jake you know found out we were pregnant and he goes I thought like you said yes. this and I was like no 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 <laughs> like it, it could have gone anyway but it just went this way so we were so so lucky <laughs> um so grateful yeah. and um yeah that was the start of it and so we had to make a decision whether we wanted to stay rural WA or we wanted to come back home to Vic um and we thought it was just safer to be in WA where COVID hadn't hit at all. Um, and because we were rural, like, just wasn't a thing. I think yeah. there was just, like, more hand sanitizer around. Nothing. Um, COVID wasn't so a thing. We were like, yep, let's stay yeah. here. Um, got the due date of the 24th of <laughs> September. Um, and I think it was April. My mum had come to visit and... I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm going to go through this whole pregnancy with no one around. And it was really hard to say goodbye to her. So I think then after that moment, we're like, you know what, let's go home. Let's go home. We're going to have family support. Even if we're, you know, in a lockdown or something like that, we can still have people around. Um, so lucky we did that because we were yeah. seven hours from Perth. So we the entire story we would have had to be sort of airlifted mm. um and gone to the royal children's in perth uh, the children's hospital in perth so really lucky um but my pregnancy was amazing i had such a good pregnancy yeah i slept wonderfully um i didn't have any aches or pains i wasn't sick um an absolute dream and i was just so <laughs> so lucky um and yeah, I was I was obviously really low risk. I had you know low risk NIP test um, or the Harmony test, I think they call it. Um, 
and people listening, that's um, like the genetic testing that we do in your pregnancy. If you're like, what's a NIPT or what's a harmony test? It's a genetic <laughs> test. Yes. So yeah, that was a low risk. Every, you know, blood sample, urine test. Um, yeah, it was really normal. I had no predisposition to disease, no family history of anything, myself or Jake. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we're really lucky in that sense. Um, we only uh, picked up on the 20-week anatomy scan. Yeah. I think I had um, marginal cord insertion yeah. and a dilated renal pelvis. Yeah. So they assured me that it, um, well, the dilated renal pelvis was really normal and that will sort of resolve itself towards the end of pregnancy, which it did. Yeah, um, and you probably had to get another scan later on. Yeah. Yes, yes. So they said with the marginal cord insertion, I think it's where the uh, the umbilical cord um, attaches to the side of the placenta yes. instead of the middle. Correct. Look at you go. You know everything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. But, um, yeah, so she, uh, well, my private doctor there um, in WA had said, um, look, we'll order a 30-week growth scan and see um, everything's tracking really well. He's getting, you know, oxygen and nutrients and growing perfectly. So, um, so yeah, we did that as well. That was fine. Um, yeah, and I moved back to Melbourne at 28 weeks. Yeah. 28 weeks. Um, and, yeah, and I had my last trimester there. So I was in the care. So I was living in Calgary. I was, um, yeah, so I had my private doctor, my sonographer, midwives and the hospital there. So then transferred care to Melbourne. So I had my own private doctor here um, and, yeah, own sonographer as well and uh, the hospital is going to be birthing, yeah. Yeah, very low risk, straightforward, young, fit, healthy. Yeah. That's pretty much textbook perfect in the terms of yeah. pregnancy. But then... I guess you smooth sailed through that part and then going into labour and your labour and birth story, that's sort of where soul's journey begins and there will be a little introduction to this episode so people will have some sort of background. But can you take us through what happened next? Yeah, so um, by 35 weeks, so was fully engaged. Yeah. And so my doctors said look you could I think you know maybe two weeks I was like no way I was like I've got so much to do and this is like first pregnancy I could have you know I could go all the way to 42 weeks so yeah. I was like I still need to work like I don't need to keep my mind busy um so yeah and then I saw some other some other um, people like chiropractor and, and a naturopath and they had both said the same thing they're like oh you've got two weeks left mm. and I was like please don't say that because I do have lots to do but um yeah like it's too soon like first pregnancy I'll go ages and so at 37 weeks which was on the Friday I finished up work and I was like fine I will do some nesting and then it was Saturday the 4th of September um and I had woken up to go to the bathroom and I was like I really need to go to the bathroom I've rolled over in bed this is at like 6 a.m and I'm walking to the bathroom and my pants just were sopping wet. Mm. And I'm like, oh, my God. I Obviously, my butter was so full. Nice. And I've gone to the bathroom, pulled my pants down. I'm like, oh, 
that was my water. And I I called Jake and I was like, Jake, Jake, Jake. And he's like, yeah, yeah, what's, what's wrong? And I was like, I think we're going to have a baby soon. And he's like, you're kidding. Oh, like, so you surprised me. You know, with the pregnancy so quickly and that this, you said it could be 42 weeks. I was like, nah, it's happening. Let's go. So um, we had a really chilled morning. I had some brekkie, called the hospital. And I think by eight, they were like, um, come in, we'll do an assessment. Um, they got a really good reading on this CTT. Yeah, correct. Um, yeah, got a really good uh, reading. Um, and, yeah, they sent me home and they said, look, if you go into spontaneous labour, that's awesome. If not, we'll book you in for um, an induction tomorrow, mm. which was going to be Father's Day. So I was like, oh, that's so cool. Imagine him being, you know, born on Father's Day. Um so yeah so I think we went back home and then by 10 o'clock I started to get some niggles Mm. um so yeah we just monitored it between sort of 10 and 3 and everyone was sort of freaking out a little bit like Jake was like oh we should go to the hospital because the contractions are a little bit everywhere and I was like I'm nowhere near hospital ready yeah I was like I can still talk through these pains like I'm you know I'm way way off yeah and he's like I would just feel so much more comfortable if you went (laughs) to the hospital and I said okay let's go and I'm like thinking in my head oh my god they're gonna laugh at me and they're gonna send me back home and we got there and the birthing center was empty and Mm. I was like oh that's great Mm. because they're like if you stay we'll assess you and you can pick your room yeah and I thought oh amazing let's go for the big room you know so we packed we packed in um and yeah it was assessed and I think I was like two two or three centimeters dilated and I've looked at Jake and I've gone see mm. he's like oh but you know yeah. we've got this awesome room so so yeah so I just had some heat packs um I was on the football but oh my gosh so funny I'm only five two and the football was massive like I couldn't even have my feet on there so I was like trying to practice all my exercises and stuff I was like I can't even sit on this ball so yeah I was just like chugging uh, chugging along the room um and then the pains got obviously worse and the funny thing was I didn't actually know that I could ask for pain relief myself I thought the midwives would go you know oh, you're this, you know, many centimetres dilated, you can have this now. No. Nope. And I don't know why I thought that because I was so educated walking into it. Like the whole pregnancy I was like, I treated it like a bachelor's degree. Yeah. I was like, you know, all the information overload. And I don't know, just in that moment I was like, oh, I can't ask, you know, for anything. Mm. So I said to the midwife, I was like, oh, look, it's really sore. Can I have some Panadol? <laughs> And she looked at me like, um, yeah, you can have some Panadol, but I just It's not going to do anything. Do much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, like, for me to have Panadol is, like, a, a big thing. I'm like, oh, she's in pain. So I took some Panadol and obviously it didn't work. And I then said to her, I'm in a lot of pain. Like, what can I have? And she's like, oh, my God. Like, darling, you can have anything. Mm. I was like, are you serious? I was like, well get me like can I have the gas and air and she's like yeah of course so I'm sucking down the gas and air um and it wasn't doing much for my pain but it was obviously my perception was yeah changed um still wasn't doing much it was just really low dose and then I said oh 
can I go into the shower? And that was like my number one place. Yeah. And she's like, of course. So we stayed in there for in a hot shower for like three or four hours. And then I had the gas and air in there as well, but it was only like that really low dose because mm. I think it was like OH&S. Yeah. Couldn't have it, you know, quite high. So yeah, and doing all like my positions in there, everything's going great. Um, and then I just had this beautiful urge to push. Amazing. <laughs> it felt so good. <laughs> Um, but it was just like this big primal grunt. I was like, you know, and Jake looks and goes, are you pushing? <laughs> but shh, don't say anything. Yeah. And he's freaked out and he's, you know, called the midwives, oh. coming, coming, she's pushing. Um, and I wanted to give birth there, um, but it just wasn't working. So she goes, let's go to the bed. Um, and I was like, no, 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 not the bed. Like that was the worst thing. Please, not the bed. Yeah, that's not in she your goes, birth plan. You didn't want to be on the bed. No. Yeah. No, and I didn't have a birth plan. I had birth wishes. Like I was so open to anything, whether it be pain or positions or anything like that. But I just, it was just so painful, the bed. So she goes, no, 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 don't worry. Like we'll get you in some nice positions. Um, Yeah, so that was, so 10 o'clock, fully dilated, got onto the bed and I had a fetal scalp clip um, and the CTG as well. and so I was on my side, delivered soul that way. Yeah. I was in a great position. Jake had fully committed and watched everything, <laughs> um, which he wasn't sure he was going to do. I love that though. Um, He's just, it's so pure, like this story. It's so beautiful to hear how like excited he was and even in your voice and just I get to see your face telling this story but it's so amazing to hear such a powerful story because often we don't share the good in our labor and birth stories and this is just that like grunt and your body's urge to tell you to push is exactly what women need to hear that you're in total control in those situations and you're so strong and powerful and like your body really does take over and you can do it and it's amazing absolutely and going into it I was like well I'm not going to know how to push and how how does your body know and your body just knows and it's so incredible it's really really incredible and I even I was literally pushing the soul out and I looked at Jake and I said please don't let me forget that this is amazing and it doesn't hurt that much and I mean that's just my story and you know maybe my next child will be completely different but I was so lucky in my pregnancy and in my birth, like it was really, a, yeah, a really beautiful thing. And um, yeah, so it was, I, I was pushing for about an hour and 17 minutes, I think. Yeah. So he was born at 11.17 that night. Um, yeah, and obviously Jake's watching the whole thing too. He's like, I I didn't think I was going to do it, but <laughs> I, I fully committed and, you know, um and got it done so yeah and then he was he was born amazing such an incredible story and um I'm so glad that you got that experience because you know once soul was born into the world things sort of I guess weren't as smooth sailing and I'm so glad that you got to have such a magical moment in your pregnancy and your labor and birth. And it just shows that you educated yourself so well beforehand because you had those birth wishes and you just had full trust in your body. And even Jake, like just so pure and beautiful, his reaction. And yeah, it's incredible. So what happened once Soul was born? Can you talk us through that? 
Yeah, so he was born. Um, the midwives had laid so so I was uh, delivering on my side, um, and so she had popped him on my inner thigh, facing away from me, so I couldn't see him. But the only thing sort of getting me through that pushing stage was hearing the other babies in the birthing suite mm. crying, and I was like, oh, that's just I need to get to that stage. I just. Yeah. You know, I'm going to push and I'm going to hear his beautiful cry. It's going to be awesome. Um, but he wasn't crying. And so I knew, okay, something's wrong. So I looked at the midwife and I said, why? Why isn't he crying? And she goes, oh, no, no, it's okay. It's okay. And she's got the towel and Rubbing, um, yeah. it was agitating him. Yeah. And he still wasn't crying. And I thought, okay. And then that's when it happened. And they called a code blue straight away, mm-hmm. took him away um, to the side of the room. And was working on it. And I swear, like, just the entire room flooded with people. Um, And so, yeah, so I was, Jake and I were just kind of looking at each other, like, what's what's going on? Mm. And it felt, like, so long. Yeah. um, Which probably wasn't, maybe it was, like, five minutes or something. But, um, yeah, but we didn't have any answers. It was just... um, Baby struggling to breathe. We're just helping them breathe. Yeah, yeah that's usually. Yeah, and I wasn't. I wasn't like worried at all. I was like, you know, babies need help um, with you know this stage so so much yeah. so often. Um, so yeah, I was fine. I was like, yep, so good. But then it kept ticking, kept ticking. No, no answers. And um, yeah, and then I I looked at Jake and I said something's not right. And I had like a tear come down. Mm. And this beautiful nurse came over to me and she said, like, don't worry, it's okay. Um, you know, you're going to be the first one to know what's happening. He's in, you know, beautiful care, don't worry. And I said, okay, okay. So they'd taken him out of the room um, and worked on him in a, in a separate uh, room, I suppose. And, yeah, we were just sort of left there with that experience and just processing it all. And so I... I was still doing my thing. I had to, you know, deliver the placenta and um, had my uh, obs from the midwife and then the doctor came in and um, was checking me to see if I needed any stitches, but I just had a, like a small grade one tear. So I didn't have to have any stitches. Um, And then, yeah, so. Yeah. And did Jake stay with you or was he able to go with Sol? So this is something that we actually spoke about a few months ago. I thought he was with me the entire time, but Jake had actually met Sol twice before me, uh, like I did. Yeah. So they had, and he has a completely different experience because he had watched everything and seen him, whereas I hadn't. So whilst I was, you know, having everything done to me, um, they had said, oh, Mr. Donnelly, we've stabilised him. Would you like to come and see your son? So he'd gone and seen Sol, but in that process, I don't know, some machines were beeping and yeah. panic, pulled Jake out of the room and said, um, you know, you need to leave. And then he's freaking out because yeah. he's like, you know, is he dying? Like what? what's happening? Um, and then the second time they'd stabilised him again, brought Jake into the room and said, this is your son. And it had happened a second time. Mm. So Jake's got no faith at all. Jake's like, you know, I'm going to leave the hospital with, out my baby yeah whereas I'm in the room getting you know checked over and I'm like oh he just needs a little bit of help breathing and yeah it's all good you do put that full trust in your 
healthcare team and it's a really hard position for that support person to be in because you want them there to be a part of it all but then you also want to protect them and what like they're seeing and not getting then I guess traumatized as well so it's a really tricky position for them to be in because they're also thinking about their baby and you at the same time yes absolutely and that's what he said to me he's like I had to keep you in a good space I need to make sure that you were okay Mm. but you know he's seen all of this he's obviously yeah he's like I'm not going to share that with you but Mm. um yeah he's trying to keep it together for soul trying to keep it together for me trying to keep it together for himself yeah um and yeah and it's still at this stage we had no sort of answers to what was going on um anyway I had finished everything I needed to do they'd pop me in a wheelchair to go and meet Sol yeah so he was like laying on this like big metal table um with this big light shining down on him with this little CPAP mask on um almost yeah just kind of laying lifeless and like his chest was like thudding up and down rise and fall Yeah. yeah and I didn't have again like a great look at him because I was in the wheelchair so I was lower kind of eye level Mm. yeah so it was yeah kind of with him for a little bit um and he was like looking over at me which is so sweet Mm. um like I could see his eyes you know moving over and then that's pretty much it and I I mean at this stage I'm such in a daze I'm yeah exhausted and yeah just just tired and a bit numb mentally too yeah like to process everything um but yeah like that was that was our first meeting and then went back into the birthing suite um and the midwife had said okay go and have your shower oh no no no, actually the doctor had come in and said look we don't have a lot of answers for you but we believe like he's got a collapsed lung so we're helping him breathe um but there are also some other things that we've picked up on like some syndromal features and I thought okay all good so he's having some you know hard time breathing and he looks a bit different so I was like okay cool and then the midwife had said okay let's um oh sorry and then the doctor said we're gonna have to transport him to the royal children's for like further testing yeah I said okay so I'm not gonna have him tonight so you know hopefully I can see him tomorrow so midwife had said, let's go to the shower, you and Jake um, do your thing and then I'll take you to the postnatal ward. So, yeah, we're in the shower and I think that's the time where we had like our big grieving moment. Mm. So it was like, you know, the water washing away, the blood, sweat and tears, but also that emotional side of like, what did I do in my pregnancy? Did I... I don't know did I eat something did I the blame take a medication yeah that Mm. blame did I what did I do or was it you know my body that wasn't I don't know maybe my body wasn't designed for carrying a child or something Mm. so would you know grieving that whole process and but just grieving as well like those little moments that we lost so you know Jake cutting the umbilical cord and yeah because these are all the things that I prepared him for too I was like, oh, you know, when when he's, he's delivered, you can cut the cord and then we'll have skin on skin and just that beautiful golden hour of yeah. um, 
yeah, even breastfeeding and stuff like that. And yeah, spending the night together and yeah. And I just, I remember looking down at my belly and it was flat and Mm. I was like, I just carry this, you know, this beautiful child and you make this beautiful bond with them for nine months and then just literally in an instant it's it's gone yeah and so yeah we had like our our big grieving moment then and then we went to the postnatal ward um and this is all in like COVID lockdown too so super lucky to have Jake there and we were like told that we could stay together but um in that moment he couldn't so the poor midwife had to stay like Oh, like, here's your room, this big, like, double bed. And she goes, um, but, Jake, I'm so sorry, you have to go home. Mm-hmm. And we were like, oh, my God. Like, we've gone through this big, huge moment and we can't be together to grieve it. Um, yeah. And so, and, like, it, I think it was, like, three in the morning, three in the morning and discharge was maybe at seven. Um, so it was only, it wasn't that long mm-hmm. and, so Jake had to drive home and it was raining and I was, you know, scared about him getting home because he was, you know, a yeah. bit of a mess as well. Um, and I think, yeah, I just, like, they closed the door behind them and I had this empty room. No baby. But then I had no baby, no husband. And then, I, like, in the postnatal ward, you just hear babies crying. And I was like, oh, my God, like, what the hell just happened? Yeah. And so yeah she was the midwife was like you know get some rest and then um you know it's only four hours until Jake can come back so yeah we just got through that four hours and then we were just so eager to get to the hospital to see Seoul really and I guess when they brought to your attention that Seoul displayed some of those syndromal features can you describe to people I guess, what you were seeing and what that looked like? So he um, he was born without eyelids. So these are probably like the major features that you could see straight away. Um, born without eyelids um, and he had a big hole on top of his head, um, which is called like cutis aplasia, but this big black hole on his head um, and these, you know, big black eyes without eyelids um but also facial features as well like he had you know really small nose really small mouth no upper lip um his ears were quite low set um and and small so you could definitely tell that he didn't look like a typical baby um and when they had said syndromal features I like we initially thought like down syndrome or something and so we're like, yeah, 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 look, that's fine. It is what it is. These things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, even though, you know, the testing didn't pick up on it. We were prepared for that. And when I went into pregnancy, I treated the pregnancy like a privilege over because I, I knew how risky it was. So yeah. I prepared myself for everything, whether it be um, like a miscarriage or a stillbirth or, um, I don't know, my child to have hearing impairment yeah. or blindness, anything. Like I prepared myself for that um, or, you know, Down syndrome and things like this. So I was prepared but I wasn't pre- 
prepared for it to happen enough because the testing yeah yeah, and the testing you know didn't show that so I was like okay well I prepared myself it's not going to happen because the test showed otherwise but then it had happened so when when we were told that I think it just for me it was well it is what it is I can't change it and I accepted it really quickly so yeah I think I don't know if that's just like a mother thing too whether you just you, I don't know you, you deliver and the light switches and you're just a mum and you yeah. get on with it I don't know I don't know I it's think just... in that moment you also so exhausted yourself and it was you had just gone through such a big pivotal moment in your life that you were probably in that fight or flight mode still and you're just like I just need to do what's best for my baby and make sure that my baby is okay and doesn't matter about me and how I feel it's all about them um because I've been in a position before when similar thing there was some abnormalities picked up with the baby um postnatally and all the genetic testing throughout the pregnancy was low risk and normal even though you know there's the potential that it might happen you still never expect it to happen to you like we all know these things can happen but when it happens to us it's like ourselves it's so different and adapting to that would have been huge and especially having your baby taken away from you and not being able to see him and not knowing what was going on and People literally said to you, we don't have any answers for you right now. Your brain would have just been going wild. Like worse, our brains always go to the worst case situation too. So you would have been thinking, I've had a low risk pregnancy. Everything's been normal. I've had a beautiful, amazing birth. And now it's just everything that I envisioned is just gone. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And again, like the, there was a huge difference between the way I felt and accepted things to like to Jake as well like he had a completely different experience watching the birth and had seen like my child doesn't look like I thought it would look and you know he saw this big um, black hole in his head and bless him he thought it was the soft spot like the fontanelle Um, and so he had seen that he'd seen him um you know, in the rooms, I don't know if it was flat, not flatlining or whatever it was. Um, so he has this idea that Sol's not going to make it. Yeah. I'm like, oh, he's just got some trouble breathing and he looks a bit different. So that's, you know, the difference yeah. between us two. But, yeah, I don't know. I just thought it is what it is. He's still our beautiful boy. Like this is yeah. our baby. And nothing else mattered. Yeah. Like I knew he was going to, you know, make it. Yeah. And, yeah, he just looked a bit different. That's literally all. And I think that was my moment to grieve in the shower. Yeah. And then done. Yeah. And you're amazing. And it just shows the strength of your character and resilience and I guess just that mother's determination and want for their child to have the best possible life that they can and make sure that they're okay and it just shows and shines through your story that you're telling now and Jake has certainly had a different experience and probably has more of the heightened trauma 
behind it because he's watched it, he's seen it, he was there. And when you see a baby that sort of looks a little bit more lifeless and you're not ever around a baby that looks like that, it's really scary. So for anyone listening whose babies had to be resus, it's a really frightening moment and that moment often stays with the father of the baby or the mother of the baby and it's really normal to still grieve and have that image in your head but then once you got to be reunited with soul what sort of happened next yeah so we um discharged from the hospital um and we went straight there to the NICU um so yeah we got there and he was like in an incubator um and we got to meet him which was just like amazing such a beautiful experience um very different to what we planned but um yeah it was like oh finally and like that drive that was just counting down the seconds yeah Yeah. um so yeah we got to meet him um again we still like we didn't know any answers or you know the nurse didn't know anything either um so yeah we just we waited and we waited for the doctors to come around and have a chat with us um so the first two people that spoke to us was the geneticist and the neonatologist. So they had said, look, we have done lots of testing overnight, um, x-rays, MRIs, CTs, bloods, you know, you name it, we've done it. Um, and we're just waiting for lots of test results to come back. Um, and they, yeah, they just said, like did do you have any idea about this and we we're like no nothing nothing at all and it was funny because we were in the care of so many different people as well like in WA and then back here in Melbourne yeah. um and yeah it was just that thing of it just wasn't picked up and yeah that's that's cool it's it happens and so um yeah and they said look do you have any questions and we said you know, how did this happen? Mm-hmm. That's probably like, how could it have happened? And not get picked and up. That's probably what your brain's yeah. thinking. Yeah. Yeah. And so they said, look, we have awesome medical um, equipment and technology and research and all the things, but it's it's not that great. Like it's it's good, but it's it's not there yet for mm-hmm. everything. Um, yeah, and like we went through you know, what medications are you taking, this, this and that, um, but, you know, nothing that could correlate to soul's conditions. So, yeah, they said we're going to do some really extensive genetic testing too and see um, what that brings up for us. Um, yeah, and I don't think we had answers for definitely a few days and that was really tricky because we had given birth and we have such a huge uh, network of family and friends and family friends and yeah like we didn't know what to say we were like oh yeah. like we you know we gave birth and souls here but yeah you know he had some trouble breathing and he looks a bit different and then obviously they go how well what does that mean yeah and we're like well we don't know because we've got no answers so it was just question marks everywhere which was really difficult um but yeah we just thought we going to stay present we're going to go and just deal with the short term every day is a new day and we'll find out something new um yeah we ended up having like I think it was like 16 different teams in the NICU 
um, which are all, they were absolutely incredible. Um, but yeah, it was just every day in there was just, just flooded your brain with info. Yeah. You were like, you know, I'm still trying to recover. Because it was, it was only, I think, eight or nine hours since I gave birth to being in the NICU. Mm. And like, you don't think about yourself at all. Um, but yeah, like you stopped and then you had to, you know, go back in the moments and go, okay, this happened and this happened and now we're here and yeah, just yeah. be present and deal with what's happening Yeah. now. So yeah. And big conversations and lots of words that probably you've never heard before or you have some sort of medical background, but Jake certainly wouldn't have had any, I guess, idea of some of the things that were being said or even how a hospital setting works it's very different when you haven't ever been exposed to that before the way that you dealt with it was amazing because you really had to take it day by day also you just didn't really have any idea of what was actually going on and you just needed to be there and be present and it comes back to always wanting to do what's best for your baby and little soul was was he breathing by himself at this point no, so he was still on high flow and low flow oxygen. So they were just mixing the two. Um, he was probably on that for maybe two weeks. Yeah. Um, and like periods of time where we would take it off um, and see how he went. And they had then actually discovered a few days later that he had a pneumothorax of the right lung. So um, they had said, look, it's it's quite common to see in the NICU um, and a lot of the times it just resolves itself um, so he just needs a little bit of time um, to recover and heal but yeah just a little bit of time as well with some support with breathing um, and yeah that should be fine so yeah in my head I'm like yeah cool he's he's gonna do his thing and he'll he'll be fine by the end of it yeah. um, in terms of that. And then when he probably stabilized did they start talking about any potential surgeries that he may have had to have or when did you get to that moment of a diagnosis? Yeah, so they had said, um, look, we've seen all these little conditions that Sol's presenting with. Um, we've never seen them together in the one child. Mm. So they couldn't um, sort of give him a formal diagnosis in that, you know, he had something like Down syndrome like we were talking about. Um, so they'd said, look, we have seen all of these different conditions before. The priorities are his eyelids because he was in the amniotic fluid for the entire pregnancy with his eyes open. So mm -hmm. they had thought he's probably got a lot of damage anyway. Um, and so to prevent the cornea from drying out and leaving him blind, we need to get a little bit more coverage there. So that was a priority, but so was um, that cutis aplasia site, so that hole in his head, which is basically like a skin condition where the skin doesn't grow, the bone doesn't grow underneath as well. So they gave him antibiotics um, straight away too um, to rule out infection, but that needed to be closed up really, yeah. really quickly. So they gave him... He had a little procedure where they got a donated like cadaver skin graft yeah. and they glued it on top of that site. Um, and that would then promote Gross. cells. Yeah, yeah, skin, his epithelial cells to, um, you know, promote and grow 
for then that bone to close up underneath as well. So that was done at four days of life. And then he then had an eyelid reconstruction, uh, 10 days of life. So it wasn't a lot, but they just basically pinned like two sides of the eyes together in the midline just so he could have a little bit more coverage. Um, and yeah, so that was the priorities. The other stuff, and they had said to us, they were like, this sounds really funny, but Sol is the healthiest baby in the NICU. So he, mm. which which is so right because there was, there was, you know, parents in there with their kids who had, you know, congenital heart disease and yeah. cancer and all the things that were just awful. And all of Sol's stuff, yes, he needed some help breathing, but he a lot of his stuff is just physical yeah he was um, healthy and things yeah yeah really healthy um it's just yeah that physical stuff and obviously the testing to see the degree or you know if we can diagnose it um so yeah so that was that were the priorities those two definitely um and yeah we just had to monitor his eyes and make sure that they were lubricated so Eye drops every hour of the day, um, yeah. but also um, feeding. So he was then diagnosed with newborn, poor newborn feeding, which was like just like a lack of interest in feeding. Um, and like energy-wise, he, he didn't really have the capacity to have a full feed. So he had an NG tube in, um, which... And people listening, a nasogastric tube is we insert it through the nasal and then all the nair and it goes into the baby's stomach to feed them if they don't have the energy to feed themselves. You often see it with like premature babies or sick babies that aren't able to feed themselves. Yeah, so he had that. Uh, we definitely did try breastfeeding, but he has such a small mouth, like the anatomy of the mouth is tiny. Um, he has a high palate tongue tie lip tie mm. um and then yeah just the energy um was lacking so he could probably get on for like a minute and have a, a suck but wouldn't get much yeah um so yeah it was mainly like the ng tube feeding him that way so that was another big thing for us to leave the NICU was for him to be able to have full feeds yeah um which yeah we would we then got off the mixed feed from the bottle whatever he couldn't take from the bottle we would finish in the ng tube and then yeah by the end of this day he was having full bottles and <laughs> that was great um so yeah it was feeding the eyelids and the eyes um yeah and that that hole in on the head so that was the main stuff yeah and for a baby to go through surgery so young it probably was a little bit frightening for you, I'm sure, but he came out the other side super well and super healthy. And I guess Sol's case is very unique, as you said. Sometimes they've seen this in one baby, a certain condition, not with lots of conditions in one baby. And correct me if I'm wrong, but they've said that Sol is a 7.9 billion, one in 7.9 billion chance. Is that correct? Yeah, so he, um, well, I mean, in the medical field, there's probably maybe a child in the world um, or a person in the world with the exact same conditions born with, um, but maybe haven't presented medically yeah. in the field. But yeah, he's the only case, which is so cool, um, super, super unique, which is, yeah, again, really awesome, but it's really hard not to have a diagnosis too, because we yeah. don't know 
treatment and prognosis and um yeah yeah so many different things family planning and um and all of that so yeah he's he is he's our one in 7.9 million (laughs) it is actually crazy you know it's not everything that you envisioned this journey to look like but you have dealt with it as well as you can and so just the name soul is so beautiful for this story because his soul has certainly it's going to touch so many people people listening to this story and you start an Instagram page um, just sharing soul's journey it's just letting him shine across the whole world and he is a unique case but it's so worthwhile because he's going to change the world for the better and make people more aware about these sorts of things and help people support you guys and yeah anyone that has a baby with any sort of special needs or any disabilities yeah absolutely absolutely he's um yeah he's he's awesome he's he's so cool and just the journey is so unique to us and our family um, and it's really awesome to be able to say like this is our story and no one else has the same just no. like yeah everyone else has their own story and is so special and unique too but yeah I think ours is just a little bit yours is a little bit more quirky and, and, and yeah cool <laughs> it certainly is um and then I guess where you guys are now so Sol was born in when September I want to say September. Yeah, September 4th. Yeah. yeah. He was born in September. We're now in June. What has the last few months looked like for you guys and what I guess is to come for Soul's journey still? Yeah, so he um so we were in the NICU for 18 days, um, which we weren't expecting. We were thinking it was gonna be a very long time, but 18 days, which was incredible. And then basically we were the first seven months was back and forth from the Royal Children's Hospital and we'd have around 10 appointments a month. So it was, you know, lots of specialist clinics and, you know, trying to get, again, still lots of testing and, um, you know, all for the reasons of a diagnosis and, yeah, and then planning his surgeries and just making sure he's doing all the things he needs to be doing and thriving in life so yeah 10 appointments a month for seven months he's now nine and a half months so the last two and a half months have slowed down a lot which has been nice um because we've got another surgery coming up in hopefully 10 days um so yeah so just yeah lots of appointments lots of appointments and just trying to fit into life and doing the normal stuff um like you know going for walks and family time and yeah you know even his milestones you know he's almost crawling now um you know eating his solids and all the fun things that you get to do yeah and I guess did the doctors ever say that there was they could tell you if there would be some limitations that he would have in terms of milestones that he may or may not meet or is it still like a day-by-day thing because we don't have that formal diagnosis or prognosis for milestones in particular um so cognitively he's like typical baby um from what we can assess at the moment um so everything is going great in that sense so physically as well he is probably a little bit 
behind. Oh, I don't even think you'd say a little bit behind because I still have people saying like, oh, my baby didn't crawl until 10 months or, you know, things like that. So we definitely are working with um, lots of physical therapists to prevent um, any delay. So physically there is no, physically or cognitively there's no delay, Um, but we are just getting on top of that now because he is going to have more surgeries and, um, you know, his start was a bit different. So, yeah, we've yeah. got onto that. Um, but I think the the one thing that we're trying to really keep a close eye on is his vision. So making sure, because we still have to keep putting drops in his eyes every hour. So um, making sure that they're lubricated enough and not drying out. So making sure that's a big priority, um, which his vision is perfect from what we can assess again. Mm. Um, they haven't noticed anything different um so yeah so his eyes um yeah just milestones yeah Yeah. making sure everything's yeah on track which everything is every honestly he's a a typical baby he's doing and doing everything that they need to be doing and he's such an an awesome baby like he's so easy to care for probably just you know drops every hour is a bit hard but um but yeah, everything is 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 awesome. We did get really lucky in that in that sense too. Like, it's yeah, and I mean, extra appointments and all of that is tricky. But mm. we don't know any different. I think if we had Sol as our second child and we had a normal experience the first time, it would be so much harder. But yeah. now it's it's easy. That's you know that's how we take care of our baby, and we were really lucky because in the NICU we learned all of his cares. Yeah together from the nurse so we were doing you know nappy changes we could fit an ng tube and um and feed him through there we could do the eye drops you know we were really lucky we came home with our baby and knew everything to do we weren't in that position as well of leaving the hospital and going oh my god what do we do yeah so yeah and you've had such great family support I know your family personally and they are incredible as well and it just shows that you've got such a great network of family and friends. And I guess that links into the next question that I'm going to ask you is you mentioned it before, but when you were sort of approaching the topic to tell people that, you know, maybe soul looked a little bit different and how did you approach that conversation or how do you go about approaching that conversation with strangers now with strangers um it is so tricky Mm. with family it was awesome because they were obviously so supportive and loving and caring and um you know this is this is a part of the family um so that was that was really okay um but strangers have been difficult because you don't know how to approach the situation Mm. um you don't know whether like his look we we go out and he um he definitely has stairs I don't really notice them because I'm just in my element with you but sometimes you can catch a stare um but we've only ever had really positive experiences so people would come up to us and oh my god he's so beautiful what's his name and Mm. And all of that, but it's usually children. Children are just so funny because they are so innocent and in their own little world. Um, like you will hear like children tap their parents and go, Mom, Dad, look at that baby. Mm. And the parents will either say, 
oh yeah like he, he's really cute or or like they'll kind of shy them away and go like oh turn around turn around mm-hmm. um so navigating the conversation and going well should I approach them and go oh well this is so yeah um this is his story but then it's like oh well if I do that do they care do they even care like mm-hmm. I don't want to just share this big story and they go well thanks for that but I didn't really ask yeah or yeah it's so it's so tricky because then I feel like well do I need to share it with them? Is it their business? But then I'm like, but I want to advocate and educate people and, yeah. you know, be like silence is not better than addressing it, you know. So yeah, it's been really hard. I haven't had a, a negative experience though, so I'm really lucky. I yeah. don't know whether it's just because he's a little bub, but, yeah, I mean, I do try and tell people about it, but how can you tell someone this big story in such a short moment? Yeah. 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 And I think it comes down to society needs to be more recepting of stories like this and shouldn't have to ask questions to know background. A lot of us are so nosy and want to know every detail and we can't help it but look and stare. And I guess that's why I really wanted you to come on and share your story because there's so many babies out there um, that have some sort of special needs and that might be physical where they look physically different or intellectually or emotionally there may be something going on and we just never know. And this is not even as like a child but also as an adult. We can be so quick to judge as a society and as a community and I'm all for advocating on sharing soul's story because it is so unique and you guys are so brave and strong and resilient to be able to have the mindset and approach that you do because you've made that Instagram page to try and spread awareness and um, I guess people are following along because they want to see how soul's going. They want to see soul's journey. They're on this ride with you too and it's absolutely incredible and I think it comes down to you as a mum Chantal and also Jake as a dad because there's lots of people that probably wouldn't have the same approach as you guys so it is a credit to you. Oh thank you so much and I think like with society as well um, yes we still need to come such a long way with it but I'm actually really really glad that Soul has been born into a time where I think we're a little bit more conscious or woke Mm -hmm. or whatever the word might be but you know just so much more thought on you know there's the LGBTQ community there's um you know diversity in so many ways of body shapes and even you know skin color and things like that everyone's so much more aware and you know special needs too so I'm glad that he's born in a time where we're a little bit more aware of these things Uh, whereas yeah I don't know like maybe my parents generation yeah wouldn't be very different yeah so yeah I think we're really lucky in that in that aspect too and yes people can still be really nasty but I think it's all the way that we'll we'll um, grow soul up and the, our parenting style. And honestly, with his personality, I think he'll just come up to me and just go, oh, you know, mum, this person said to me, blah, 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 blah. But I know that, you know, they're having a really hard time at home. So, you know, I just think yeah. he's going to be so 
switched on in that in that sense so yeah we are we are we're lucky he will be very courageous soul that's for sure and that's why (laughs) the name is just so fitting once again but I guess soul still has such a journey ahead of him I know that he's going into his surgery in 10 days um how do you stay positive and optimistic moving forward because obviously he's not he's going to have some challenges throughout his life but how do you and Jake stay positive and optimistic about this naturally I'm a very um optimistic person anyway so it's not hard to do um but probably the the biggest contributor is our family and our friends mm. and our workplaces too. Like so many people are involved in it, but the support, the love, the care, um, yeah, that's just been the the biggest thing. So that keeps us so, yeah, down to earth and positive about everything and even his, his medical team. Like at the moment I think it's grown to about 22 people. So uh, 22 um, specialists so we medically are just in the best hands ever mm. and you have so much faith in what they do so that's another huge contributor but just soul he's like he's going through all of this mm. you know it's not us and he's he's such he's such a fighter oh my god he it's almost like he just looks every appointment we go to or <laughs> you know surgery or anything he just looks at me he's like like what's what, next yeah, what is you know like, yeah. he's just just the way he looks and he acts and everything like that he's honestly such an old soul and he just he gets through it he's like yeah cool like tick that one off you know that so was easy I'm like well yeah, yeah yeah and you just you keep happy and and um yeah just really happy for him and that's something that kept us going in the NICU. We were like, you know, yeah, we might have our, day, our down days, especially leaving the NICU. But every time we got into his room, it was like, no, everything else wipes away. We're going to be so happy and, you know, involved and just be in this moment with him and be in a great headspace for him. So he's probably, yeah, his number one always. <laughs> oh, it's so beautiful. And what surgery is he having in the next couple of weeks? So he's having um, his first major craniofacial surgery. So he has, uh, among lots of things, but midline hyperplasia. So a lot of the um, structures, the bones and tissues in his face and head um, are lacking. So the sutures of his skull um, are very gappy. So in all babies they are, but, for example, like I don't know the, the right um numbers but say bubs have like one centimeter gap in the sutures of the plates in the skull to allow for brain growth um his would be two or three so his sagittal um suture is probably about three centimeters but then he's also got this huge gap of four centimeters in his forehead so what's happening there um is his fat pad in the forehead is growing at the same rate he is physically so as he's putting on weight healthily that fat pad is as well so he's got this big bulging (laughs) fat pad on his forehead which is just so cute he looks (laughs) like one of those dolphins with the the bump um 
so we need to go in, debulge that. We're going to grab some bone from his skull and place it in the forehead to cover up the gap. Um, but then they're also going to build up the orbit, so the eye sockets where he's missing bone um, and build his nose a little bit more. So he's got a nose breed, but it's just really, really small and it's being covered by that fat pad. So mm. lots of different things, um, but that's going to be his first major craniofacial yeah yeah wow it's a lot isn't it but he's a fighter as you said how long does that surgery potentially go for they're thinking eight hours but it could be anywhere yeah to 14 or hopefully less but yeah Yeah. well it's gonna be pretty long (laughs) he is a fighter that's for sure and it's just amazing how far our medical has advanced over the last few years even um but moving forward in terms of your life and you talk about potentially having other kids and I know this is the worst question to ask anyone but and I put up a post being like you should never ask but in terms of this interview is why I'm asking it what does the future for like your family look like does it still yeah make you want to have more kids or what is your opinion on that 100% I said to Jake I would have had another kid straight after I popped fell out like and I think that's just <laughs> because one I love kids but I had a great experience with yeah. you know pregnancy labor and delivery so I don't have that trauma to get over um so I yeah 100% would have had another kid in an instant um and to me I don't feel like this is something that is genetic and in you know the genetic diagnosis of what we've found so far it's all uninformative so I think this is just one of those freaky things that happened I think if we have another child like my intuition is saying it's not going to happen again but Mm. I mean it could so we're actually um we're involved in a a genetic um research project at the moment so that's going to go for 12 months and potentially tell us whether this could happen again or if you know even our family, anyone in our family, because they said, look, maybe just you and Jake together, a gene sparked and this is the result of it. So we wanna, we do definitely want to know if this is something that will happen again yeah. so that we can plan and go, okay, well, can we go through all of this again? Um, but, yeah, I would 100% have another kid. I'm just working on Jake. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, he's, yeah, he's feeling a little bit guilty, like, oh, how can we have another kid when Sol's got so much going on? Mm. Which we would definitely obviously wait until his obstacles and hurdles have been overcome and then start to think of, you know, bringing another child into the mix. But, yeah, I really, I really hope I will. Yeah, I, look, it sounds like you will, but it's more on Jake's end that you need to convince. Yeah, let's, let's all jump on Jake now. <laughs> um, but that pretty much brings us towards the end of this episode. Um, we finish off as we usually do with Mons Fast Five. So short, sharp answers from you. Looking back, what's one piece of advice you would give yourself now that you're a mum? Don't plan anything. <laughs> I planned so much. I was like, we're going to go on a holiday at this time when Sol's this age and I'm going to go back to work at this time. And, oh, my gosh, yeah, I'm such a, yeah, a structured, regimented person. Um, 
So yeah, don't plan anything. Just go with the flow and wait till the bubs is here. Yeah, be in the moment, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, yeah. Something you wish you weren't so hard on yourself for? Mother's guilt leaving the NICU, I think. That was mm. the hardest thing in the world. I felt so awful. I was like, oh, you know, for an hour before we would leave, I would say, so I'm so sorry, but I've got to go. Like, they won't let me stay overnight, you know, all of that. So that was hard, but it was like I needed it because I obviously need to go home and rest and, yeah, you know, express and do all the things. But, yeah, yeah. I was really hard on myself in that moment. Yeah, it's such a tricky time. I know working in the nursery myself, like it's, I'm sure that's every single mum's least favourite part of their day. Um, yeah. One thing you wish you knew more about? I feel like you've already learned so much. I know, yeah. I, I probably, I would have loved if like my antenatal classes um, probably had a little bit of something about everything that could go wrong. I don't know, some some info or resources because, yeah, our one online was awesome and we were prepared for everything when everything would go right. Um, but, yeah, just everything when things go wrong, what, what happens, expect, I guess. Yeah. 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 Um, one thing you wish someone told you before becoming a parent? <laughs> if... The beautiful item of clothing exceeds three press studs. Don't buy it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, and <laughs> my uh, flu brain has really gone on here. I'm like, what <laughs> question did I just ask? Um, but I think we're up to question five. What is your favourite motherhood hack? Oh, gadget. We are such gadget parents, which I never thought that we would be, but everything from like this snotty boss nasal aspirator to the like suckle portable bottle warmer and honestly his baby bag is like James Bond's briefcase or something like it's the best I love, <laughs> love all the gadgets yeah especially got- with like being you know all these appointments and stuff like I was bringing a thermos and putting the bottle in hot water <laughs> what was I doing yeah. so yeah gadgets 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 for sure so many luckily there's so many these days I feel like I just asked you four questions and I'm like I don't think I don't know if I've asked you all of them um I don't know they all look similar to me looking at them now um anyway we'll just call it there because the brain is starting to uh stop working I'm sorry if you've heard either myself or Chantel coughing this episode because we're both actually sick but we've got through it in an hour and what 10 minutes which is amazing um but Chantel thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story but also your family's story and of course soul's journey um it is an incredible story it really is and I've already said it but it is a massive testament to you and Jake and Soul because you're doing such an incredible job you really are and you're an amazing mum and I hope that you know that Soul's very lucky and Soul is a beautiful little boy (laughs) sure is no thank you so much man I really appreciate it yeah I just I'm so yeah grateful for you having me on here so yeah thank you so much Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Midi. 
Your support means the absolute world to me. So if you loved this episode and want to stay up to date with the latest interviews and midwifery education, please hit the subscribe button and leave a five-star review. For further information about this episode, please check the show notes below. If you wish to share your pregnancy and motherhood experience, you can get in touch with me by emailing hello at themidisociety.com.au and find us on Instagram at at themidisociety or at Monique underscore Maitland. I cannot wait for you to join me next week. I'll be talking all things flap chat. In the meantime, I hope you have an amazing week and remember you're doing the best you can.